Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Carlisle here, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Enchanted Podcast, where I tend to nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, where you can explore all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. If you follow me on Instagram, at Nick.Carlisle, that is, go ahead and send me a DM on there referencing this podcast, and I will shoot you over a discount code for my online store, where I just released some new hoodie and t-shirt designs that, at least I think, are super dope. Also, please consider supporting me through Patreon through the support tab on my website. Your contributions through Patreon, even if small, will ensure the Life Enchanted content keeps flowing and growing. For this episode, I am back with part two, as promised, with my guy Morgan Snyder. If you haven't listened to the first interview I did with him, I highly recommend checking that one out as well. But in this episode, we talk about a few things that have really resonated with me while reading his new book and while listening to numerous of his own podcast episodes. His podcast is titled Become Good Soil. Highly encourage you to check that one out. Morgan is an author, speaker, husband, father, hunter, and just such a solid salt of the earth dude, which you'll get a feel for in this episode. And to be completely honest with you guys, after I stopped recording with Morgan on this episode, we continued to talk for a few minutes, and he had me in literal tears as I felt the Father's love coming through him towards me. It was a really powerful moment. He's a special guy, and I'm already looking forward to the future conversations that I'm going to have with him. So without further ado, Morgan Snyder, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we are live. Morgan, it's an honor to have you back, man. Thanks for doing this. Nick, yeah, really good to circle up again. It was such a joy to do it the first time, and and we both knew when we walked away that there was more conversation to have. So this is great. Thank you, man. Thank you. So so since our first interview, I've I've consumed a ton of your content from your blog to your podcast. I've read your new book, which is excellent, Becoming a King, and I'm working back through it right now alongside uh, the study guide with a group of ten men in my area. Um, and I just want to take this opportunity to publicly say thank you for the kingdom work that you've done and that you're continuing to do. Uh, it's making a big difference and, and I appreciate you more than, you know, man. Thanks, Nick. You know, it's, it's the few that pause and slow down enough to really go deep. And, uh, as we know, the deeper, the roots go, the healthier the roots, the healthier um, and more strengthened is the tree. And mm. and to to take the time to go through the study guide and the video series with 10 men over time, over weeks, that's where it really begins to change the soul. You know, Richard Foster said that the curse of our age is superficiality. 
that we're moving so fast that we don't have time to go deep and it's in the deep waters that transformation takes place. So mm. I commend you. Well done. You're among the few. And I know that there are other listeners out there uh, that are thirsty and want to see change and want to see life. And so hopefully they'll follow your lead. Hopefully, man. Hopefully they'll dive in. I encourage everyone to dive in. Um, I can't stop talking about the book, man. So, And and there's about a thousand things that I want to talk with you about yes. today because so many things that you've said have, have resonated and, and uh, just articulated my experience in life thus far. And I thought... Um, the best place for us to start would be the language that you use to compare uh, your 20s versus your 30s. Um, and again, I want to start there because it was spot on for me. So can you break that down for us a bit? Yeah, I sure can. And I think one of the helpful starting points, too, is I'm sure there are people at all different ages listening to this. Mm -hmm. And what's so important is what I'm going to articulate here for the 20s and 30s it's a it's very specific and it's also metaphor it it has everything to do with a stage that the soul needs to travel through in our process to become wholehearted and mature what i found nick is i've been fathering a son in this message he is 16 he just recently turned 16 joshua and what i found is the same questions that are center um, and forefront for his soul going from boyhood to manhood are the very same questions that I went through from 20s to 30s. Mm. And so much of it was I lacked the initiation I needed as a boy. And God's brilliance is that as a father to his sons, we're always on time. He's never playing catch up. And so wherever we are, the Father meets us and will continue our process of initiation. But what happens in Western culture, very specifically in the transition from 20 to 30, it, it, in some ways, it's, it's like to say it, I would say it this way, it's the next best chance to go from boy to man. Mm. And so it's not that it's isolated to that decade. Some men don't go through it until they're 50, mm -hmm. but it is the second pass we have. And so in light of that, it's really the journey from boyhood to manhood. And, and in the 20s, so often the false self has been formed. Uh, you know, I was talking to some educators and they were saying there's such a stark difference between junior uh, middle school and the junior uh, high school compared to senior high. And they said, junior high kids are just wet clay. They're so malleable. They're so wonderfully awkward. They're, <laughs> they're so impressionable, right? You remember mm -hmm, those years. Mm -hmm. Like they, they don't even know what they don't know, but something happens and we become very fixed in most kids in high school. They become rigid in defining who they are. And what it is, is the formulation of the false self. And so they found a way, mostly out of wounding and trauma to self-protect, to say, this is who I am based on what the world values and what the world rewards. And so they find a way to make life work apart from God. It becomes a persona. It becomes very fixed. And I call the 20s um, this stage of exploration and discovery. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be a time to get a lot of data, 
to be exposed to cultures and information and teaching and worldviews to try on a little bit about a lot of things to explore and discover. And that's in a, in a healthy form. It's just filling out our map and coming to understand what it is we believe mm -hmm. before we can even think about what we think about what we believe. We have to mm -hmm. discover what it is that we've come to believe. Who is God? Who am I as a man or woman? Who am I individually? What is the story in which I live? What is my frontier? Those are kind of some of the fundamental questions. It's meant to be an age of exploration discovery. And most men out of their false self as young, young men, their lives are exclamation points. They, you know, it's most high school kids know far more than their parents. They're never wrong. They have it all figured out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and yet Dallas Willard says that reality is what we bump into when we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. You know, I ran into a glass wall moving a piece of furniture in this really fancy high rise office like 20 years ago. And I will never forget like the just the percussion of a wall that I did not know was there. You know, I looked like a raccoon, two black eyes, my whole face swelled because my all my body weight went in with my nose. It was there, though I failed to believe in its reality. And I paid a dear price. And so the shift from 20s to 30s is often another opportunity to uh, begin to exchange our exclamation points for question marks. What happens is our life gets very real. So often in the 30s, we're, we're done um, being the center of our story, though we don't know it mm -hmm. until we are propelled out of it. It, it, the shift is often with marriage. It, then it's severely with children. But even if it's not married, marriage and children yet, it's career and making decisions about where we'll live and um, thinking about being married. And, and what happens in this decade, Nick, is that some of life is behind us. For the first time, what we observe is that our life matters to other people. It's not that it doesn't always matter, but in specific, our decisions have consequences for good or for ill. Much of our decisions um, put us in a track where some some options are rendered then in unavailable. You know, we start realizing things like in the 30s, you know, I, I, I sunburned my head hanging out with some of my buddies and my head was hurting. I thought I had a headache. I had no idea. It's because I was sunburned. It's because I started going bald and I didn't know it. And it's like, what? I had thick hair. Like you look at professional athletes and realize they're younger than mm -hmm. you. That's a hard right? one. It's a hard one. <laughs> and, and it's reality. It's mm -hmm. sober. And it's all really meant to be good news. But the shift is I call it a shift from exploration and discovery to a decade of apprenticeship. It's now where we have to begin unlearning all that we've learned. Yes. It's where much of what we've learned is wrong. We've bought the lies of the world and we're set on a track. And if you look at men in their 50s, 60s and 70s, what you'll find it often is a life that you don't want but you're set to be on that same trajectory. And so the question of the 30s becomes a question. It becomes 
what are the questions I need as I replace my exclamation points with question marks? Where is life found? Mm -hmm. How do I make it last? Um, What is the most important thing? What if I've learned some things wrong? What's the work that I need to do to actually contend with real honest issues that are surfacing that are bearing fruit in my life that I'm not interested. So that's the big shift. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and like I said, it that is spot on to my experience, man. I mean, in my 20s, graduated college, um, established some just unhealthy habits and substance addictions and stuff like that. And uh, just got into some bad patterns, moved back home, um, was not my best self, was totally living out of my false self and ended up getting married. And once I got married, kind of realized that, whoa, my decisions have consequences on my relationships and these other people's people and, and things blew up in front of my face in some pretty drastic ways. Um, and then enter my thirties, just like you said, it became a complete unraveling of everything that I thought was important or that I needed to do or aspired to do or whatever. And, uh, these questions started to arise and it's, it's been such a battle and I've gone, I've spoken a lot about this on the podcast and on social media and whatnot, but I've had some, some bad mental health bouts and some just, just issues. And, and in that though, there's been so much goodness in relation with the father and intimacy and dependence on the father. And, um, but yeah, I just I just love that language you put to it because that was it went from selfishness and I'm the center of the world and narcissism and a life of all about me to now I'm married, I have kids and I have all of this past baggage and habits that I've that I've established in my mind and in my person that I need to unravel and and figure out what really life is all about. Um can you speak to to it being a decade like uh, why isn't there a shortcut? Why isn't there a quick fix? Why isn't there a magic book or a magic pill? Why is it a decade of excavation? Yeah, first of all, um, Nick, I'm really proud of you. I um, What's interesting is the very first piece of this podcast conversation we started with was you basically saying after our first interview, you dove deep and mm-hmm. you voraciously dove in and you chose to give it the time to really allow the content to be saturated into your soul, to receive it, to let it form you, to give it honest consideration. And when you shared that, I had this question of, huh, I wonder what Nick's story is. Mm. And now as you're sharing, I'm going, of course, yeah. right? It was the suffering. You're an obviously passionate young man with an alive heart but it's the pain and the suffering that's so often our greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so first off, I commend you for the slow and steady. And and I think what I would say is one of the most hopeful patterns I've seen is that men who consent to the path and the process a decade from now, they end up teaching, whether formally or informally, out of their greatest pain Mm. and bringing life to other people that their deepest struggles and their deepest questions a decade from now, if they consent to the path and process will actually become one of their greatest strengths that our secret life is actually transformed from our place of deep sorrow or shame to our great strength. Mm -hmm. And, but the best things in life take time. 
you know, nature was meant to be the first sacred text for the human soul. Most of humanity, for most of creation, never had the scriptures. But what we had was creation. And creation tells us a story of the slow and steady. That things happen mostly little by little. Hmm. Yes, there's earthquakes, but mostly it's the subtle tectonic shift of the plates. You know, there's often storms, um, but mostly it's the slow growth of every year. You know, the scrub oak in my yard, they grow approximately eight to 10 inches per year. The crowns on the candles on the ponderosa pines, if they grow five inches, it's a good year. Um, the best things in life take time. Nature shows us that. That's 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 the the story in which our souls were born, and we resist this profoundly. And Jesus, Jesus, thousands of years ago, back in this same plea, he said, "You know, don't take shortcuts." <clears throat> he said, "You know, the market." I love Peterson's translation. He says the market is flooded with surefire shortcuts. Um, of a life that leads to God, but they simply are not true. Um, mm -hmm. A.W. Tozier said that um, for the, that he said, I, I just wished that there were shortcuts that exist and I search for them in vain. But those that want to become and those that want to know God must actually spend time with him cultivating his acquaintance. Mm. And so I think, mm -hmm. Nick, for me, I wanted shortcuts. Yeah. I wanted them. I was pissed, to be frank, that I couldn't get them because I looked around on the landscape of my world and I saw a lot of men that were getting shortcuts. And I remember sitting with a mentor saying, it's unfair. It's unfair. Like, why do so many men get shortcuts? And he said, I really want to challenge that assumption that you have I want you to pray about that. And so I prayed about it. And I said, God, I, I confess there are all kinds of guys that get shortcuts. And so God said, okay, make a list. And so I wrote down the names of 10 men that I believed were my peers that all seemed like they got some kind of shortcut, you know, a windfall of money, um, a, a leg up in their work because of a connection, um, you know, some kind of relationship that they were taking a shortcut with, but seemed like it was working for them, not dealing with their brokenness and getting away with it. Um, not, you know, neglecting their fitness and their well wellness and just coasting on genetics. Mm. It went on and on. And over several years, I literally, Nick went back to that journal and one by one had to put a line through their names mm. saying, Oh, Oh, God bless his soul. God bless that man. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. And there came a point of my masculine initiation where no one was left on the list. And so we come to a point in our journey as men where we choose to begin to no longer waste our pain. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the brilliance of the father is he's very patient. He's very patient. He waits to be wanted, Tozier said. And when we're busy, and we're in a hurry. The father is very quiet. And that's why with Become Good Soil message and the intensive specifically, we tell people this is for the few. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions on the application is how have you suffered? Yeah. Because we've learned that unless a man has suffered and has come to contend with his suffering and has started to ask the questions, 
he's not ready. He hasn't hit his bottom. And so I believe that in a world that promises quick, cheap, and easy, mm-hmm. that the antidote so often is to consent to the slow and steady process. We see it in the films that we love. We see it infused in all the great Bible stories. Slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. And to participate with the nature of reality, you know, like Dallas says, it can be tested and found to be reliable. It's worth the risk. Mm. Yeah, again, such such a powerful truth that has spoken to my experience. I mean, even if you, Morgan, look at the podcast episodes that I've done, I realized this the other day. Um, when this po- podcast first started about two years ago, and if you look at some of the episodes, it's like mindfulness meditation, my favorite biohack, cold showers, breath work, um, like caffeine consumption, supplements, um, books I'm reading, like all these different kind of like shortcut strategies that I that definitely have some benefit and that help me in some way but as as the the podcast has progressed the episodes have now become so much more spirit and god focused and vulnerability yes. and open and honest and deeper conversations and honest conversations and it was just interesting for me to see that like I started out with all of these things that that culture wants and that that people want exactly. these quick fixes but in the end, it's all about union with your creator and growing in that relationship and and excavating all the crap, as you say. And that's, I mean, that's just the truth of it. And and one thing that, that stuck out to me um, in one of the podcasts that I heard you do, I think it was with John Moorhead, is he said that, that faith gr- only, only grows in adversity. Um, and I've and I've seen that again in my life, in my suffering, because I've turned to all these different things and realized that they're all just chasing wind. And that when I do turn to the Father and when I do go deep and intimate with Him, that is the only source of life and of progress and of goodness um, that is true for me. And that's been a powerful revelation, but it's taken so much time to get there. And it's and I'm still, you know, anticipating the the time that it's going to take to get even further so but it's good it's good there's fruit in that yeah there really is and and i think it's beautiful that you can look back over your podcast and watch that transformation because you know it's it's nature like we we are builders we are we we are we are designed to um be entrepreneurial to co-create with god but we have a bend towards the false. We have a a sin nature that's not the truest thing about us, but it is our operational reality. And so, of course, excuse me, of course, we are going um, in our own self-sufficiency to seek out those shortcuts. And the question is, what do we do when we're exposed? What do we do when it's not working? Because there's a lot of men, Nick, that have put their heels down and keep trying to go after the life hacks, right? Mm -hmm. They keep trying to pursue it. And the thing is, you can make a lot of money with life hacks because that's what sells books. That's sexy, mm-hmm. right? People are looking for a shortcut. But in the end, um, it's it's like cotton candy. You know, it smells good. It looks good. And, and yet in the end, there's just simply no substance. And so when you do consent to the, to the process, um, you will see that not only is there fruit, but the holy irony is that a decade is actually not a long time. Mm. 
Now, I just want to pause and say, if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this, you just blew me off. You just said you're an old man, right? <laughs> I, I remember I was sitting with a mentor. I was 30 and I was asking him about this ancient path. How do you recover it? Where do you find life? And and I said, how do I love this woman who's living in my house who before we were married, I thought I knew her. And now every day I'm getting more confused, you know, mm -hmm. and he turned to me, Nick, and he was slow in his response. And he said, Morgan, some decades are harder than other decades. <laughs> and Nick, I remember I went, first of all, that's, that's ludicrous. Secondly, that's completely unhelpful. I am just trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But what it did was I'm talking about it now, you know, some uh, uh, 15 years later, almost where it what it did was begin to reorient my my view of reality. It began to show me part of the problem is I have such a short term view and I'm living my life like the stock market, like a day trader up and down, up and down with no long term view. And, and that's where the shift was live in the day and measure in the decade. Mm -hmm. What if, and literally like for my retirement, I quit looking at it other than maybe twice a year, um, for, for some time. And I was an economics major, you know, I'm very interested in business and markets, but I actually had to discipline myself to say, I'm actually uninterested in daily performance. What I want to know are long-term trends because that's that's true to my soul. And so what I, that's what I need in my finances and that's what I need in my marriage. That's what I need in my life. But I need to live in the day and measure in the decade, not live in the decade with all these regrets and concerns and fears and measure in the day with this bipolar you know, reality towards life. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a monumental shift that a man must take. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Can you unpack the idea of the false self versus the true self? Yeah, these are really deep waters. And I mentioned it a little bit about boyhood. But fundamentally, you know, the most important thing we can know about any human being is that they bear the image of God. That's the truest thing about your spouse, about your boss, about your enemies, mm -hmm. about people of every socioeconomic group, of every race, of every, every gender. We bear the image of God. And what happens is that Imago Dei, that image bearing is always being expressed, but it is either being expressed out of the false self or out of the true self. Um, and what's really important is as we mature, we begin to become more aware of which one it is that's operating. Mm. And it's only through awareness that then we began to disentangle the two and dismantle the false and restore the true. Yes, But we have to become aware. And so what I want to say is the false self is the person we become that we offer to the world that is very self-protective. It's a self-life. It's a caricature of who we were meant to be. It has an effect on other people. And in some ways, we've learned to be that person uh, because we get rewarded for it. We might be the funny guy. We might be the leader. We might be the passive 
guy. We might be the guy that always has a joke. We might be the person that never has anything to say. We might be the person that always has to win. We might be the person that never even competes because they don't want to lose. Um, it's always never. It's that predictable thing. When my wife says, hey, honey, do you want to go get a day of solitude? She knows what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, yes, yes. I'm an introvert. And that's like the biggest gift. When my wife says, hey, I didn't tell you, but we're having more guests to stay in our house next week. She knows how I'm going to react. Okay. Like my reaction is very telling about the false self. And that reaction has nothing to do with God. Um, it might be that God has for me to take solitude. It might be that he wants me to stay home and help my wife around the house. Mm -hmm. It might be that we are to host friends at our home because God has something really particularly planned for the initiation of one of our nieces or nephews. It might be that that's really not a healthy idea, but to be rooted in God out of my true self is very different than to simply react out mm. of a pre-programmed set of beliefs and values. And so to give an example, I'm a very intense person, as you probably know, my intensity has got me in a lot of trouble. In high school, it got me arrested multiple times. It got me doing very big things that were very bad ideas, but I'm intense. I throw myself into projects, people, ideas. And as I began to mature, I began to resent that intensity. And I said, I wish I could just chill more. I wish I could like wear flip flops. Mm. I wish I could be one of those guys that watches baseball. Like <laughs> who watches baseball? Seriously. Like it blows my mind. Right. <laughs> right. Like I, I don't understand it. You so, and I are more alike than then you know, my friend. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Well, here's some good news for you. I tried to repent from the image of God in me, and that's a very unproductive idea. What I found was the image of God in me in intensity was being expressed in the false self. So when I was doing it out of a woundedness that mm. came with a lie that I am loved when I come through for people. Right. That's the ultimate kind of sentence I've excavated out of my false self. I find love when I come through. If I don't come through for you in this podcast, I will I'm, I have a bend to be very disappointed in myself. Mm. And so I have a tendency to be an overachiever. And so when that intensity is in the service of the false, I give too much. I serve too much. I do too much. It's, it's a heroic life all the time. And I end up resenting it. I feel the pains in my body. I feel it in relationships. I fight bravely and die quickly. But when that intensity is in the service of love, I partner with God to change the world. That's why becoming a king exists. That's mm -hmm. why I was able to prevail through that study guide, which took 10 years of forming and forging. It's why the intensive is shaping shapers in the kingdom all around the world. It's because I have, pre I have patiently endured through intensity. So the question is, who is my false and who is my true? And one of the ways to get to that is simply, what's your impact on people? To ask your wife, to ask your boss, to ask people that will give you honest feedback, your friends, what's it like to be around me mm. for good and for ill? 
What's what's my effect? And and it will excavate both the true self and the false self. And a lot of this is in the study guide for becoming a king and goes in through tons of podcasts and blogs. But ultimately, that's where I'll just finish with this is that Paul has a radical conversion, right? He is a, a hater of the Christian faith and the Christian, the ones of the way. He's a persecutor. He literally pulls, he, there's a story of him pulling a woman by her hair down a street um, because she, she worships Jesus Christ. And he has a radical conversion. And, and then there's 14 years we don't know about his life. I find it fascinating. Hmm. There are 14 years we know nothing about Paul's life. But when he comes back, we get the Paul of the epistles. We get this fiery, mature man in the early church. And he has this eloquent, the most, um, the well-communicated disposition on the false self and the true self I've ever heard in Romans 6 and 7, where he says, here's where I find myself. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Mm -hmm. I was in the very same place with my one of my children this weekend. There were things in my heart I so longed to communicate in some real um, difficult tension we were having. having and yet I couldn't find myself um, to say them. And yet I found myself reacting defensively when what I wanted to do was offer my tears and my compassion to come to the center of my of my child's heart. Mm -hmm. But what's so important about that passage, Nick, is that Paul has become very aware of the two selves at work in him. And that's why this passage gets so confused because it's it's both. We have a good heart and we have an evil heart. We have a heart given over to sin and death. And we have a heart that's being restored through Christ. And those are very different people. And Paul is articulating through his initiation over 14 years of walking with God. He's become the kind of person that can articulate. I don't always do what I want to do because I don't always act out of who I truly am. But through Christ, I can become aware of the false man. I can put him to death. And through a greater resurrection, I can become the kind of man that's not only wholehearted, but can live in union with God, real time, moment by moment, intimacy. And I become the person, the kind of person in my true self that literally nothing can harm me. Mm. I've passed through death to a greater life that even physical life, death actually leads to a greater life. And that's why he says, I become the kind of person that I am ready for anything, anywhere. In other words, you know, I, I, I've learned a secret that in all things, right, I can make it through in the one who makes me who I am. In other words, I have, I know my false self with a, near a hundred percent clarity. I don't always act out of my true self, but I am aware of this civil war. I'm putting to death the false and I'm resurrecting the true man. And that's a path and a process that takes time, but that's where we find true and lasting peace and joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's helpful, I think, is when you're speaking about um, the importance of becoming aware of the false self. And I think that awareness also breeds this almost gamifying of reality, where now that you are able to label this and become aware of it and see it 
and not necessarily identify with it. It's almost like you can that that itself, the awareness itself gives you a leg up on it because now it's almost like a like I said, you gamify it. Now you you try and conquer it. You you are aware that you need to take steps to conquer it, that that you can conquer it and you can, you know, subdue it and then choose to act in a different way. Um, and that's helped me just just being able to label it as the false self and identify it and not identify with it as who I am. Um, yeah, huge. That that label is absolutely essential. And, and it's not punitive. It's explore. It's explorative. Like um, it, the idea is once we know it, then we become students of our own soul, mm. of our own story, right? We, we learn once we label it of, oh, there's a reason why we did that. My friend, you know, I had a friend that told me this, you know, he said, he, you know, he came back from vacation and he was tired. And he said, you know, Morgan, the problem with vacation is I go with me. Hmm. He said, "The I, I think going to Hawaii is going to solve everything, but I go with me to Hawaii. It's the me <laughs> that's in the way, right? It's like that same maximizer, achiever, strategist. I throw myself in Hawaii to adventure, and I want to get a surf lesson, and I want to swim, and I want to paddle, and I want to snorkel, and I come home tired. And you go, why do I always go with me, right? But that same man, when he was 12 years old, his father pulled him outside the house and said, and, and he, he, the, the, he didn't confess, but his, his dad had had an affair. He was a pastor, had an affair with the church secretary, classic story. You know, this woman that's in the trenches with him that knows him and cares mm -hmm. for his heart and where he feels like a man in the pulpit and not at home. And he said, son, you are the man of the house. Now I'm leaving. Hmm. And at, at 12, my friend had to be the man of the house. And so he learned to be an adult at 12. He learned to provide, to be responsible, to make sure he saves every dollar. He doesn't waste money. And he learned to have very little joy. That false self saved his life in those early years because he did have to survive. He did have to grow up far too early. But Nick, he got to a point where it was no longer serving him. And so when we name the false self, we get to acknowledge him with compassion and mm -hmm. say, you are no longer welcome. You no longer have say here. I don't give you permission anymore to shape my marriage, to sabotage my career, to keep me bound in fear. You, you don't, you're not welcome here. You're not me. You are separate. And so you're right. A gamifying is a good term. And it's a very, um, it, it's really exciting because you'll, you'll see the fruit I, rather quickly. And yet you'll see damn deep transformation over time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, um, one of the core characteristics of the true self, just to make this real practical here is in the language of, of Matthew six, Jesus talking about just seeking first the kingdom of God. When you are in a place, and Dallas Willard translates that line to God in action, the kingdom of God is God in action. So when you're at a place where you are seeking God in action in everything that you are doing, which I, I would argue is impossible at our time here on earth, but you can definitely grow and mature in that. But when you are in that zone, in that frame of mind, that is the true self. 
Well, I think it's really insightful what you're saying, because one of the, the fundamental realities is we were not made for independence. We were not made for self-sufficiency. And we, we come to the scriptures and we come to the Christian life with a, a profoundly Western view of reality. We're like a fish in polluted water that knows something's wrong, but we can't even name it because we don't know any other reality. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus models for us the antidote that whatever else we see in Jesus, what he's modeling 100% of the time is sonship and the reality of a God-centered, a father-centered um, view of normalcy, right? He is not independent. He says these wild things like, when you see me, you see the father because I don't do anything apart from the father. He, he says, father, this is my prayer that all these people, my apprentices would be one heart with you and one mind with you as I am one heart and one mind with you. Just pause with me, Nick, for a moment and just Mm -hmm. think, and our listeners, what if in your current circumstances, with your job, with your marriage, with your kids, you could be one heart Mm -hmm. with God, Mm -hmm. one mind with God. And so what's so important to understand is, you know, design Desire reveals design, design reveals destiny. And so we have a desire to build, to create, to explore, to conquer. But the but we live out of a false self. We live out of a fallen nature. And much of that gets expressed in our independence and our self-sufficiency. So we take a God-given um, dream and desire and we do it on our own. Mm. And it doesn't work out. And we come to all sorts of conclusions about the nature of God and reality that are simply false when our lives were never meant to be separate from God. And so the false self, by definition, is disconnected from the life of God. Thomas Keating has a brilliant book, Open Mind, Open Heart. He describes the false self like a bicycle wheel. You think of a bicycle wheel spinning, where as long as it's spinning, it won't fall over. But as soon as it slows down, it begins to get wobbly and Mm. it wobbles more and more until it has no energy and it falls down. And uh, Father Keating uses that as the perfect illustration that the false self is like a bicycle wheel where the center of gravity is itself. And as soon as we quit doing, we quit driving, we quit working, we fall. It's never enough. It's exhausting. And that's why men in their 30s and especially in their 40s come to a point of of just simply tiredness, of exhaustion. It's not so much of body, but it is of soul mm-hmm. that manifests in the body where the, the true self, the center of gravity is God himself, that we were meant to be in God. In him, we breathe and live and have our being that we literally cannot understand our lives apart from God. We're made for union. And so that's why I think you are onto something really important that we can't explore these things very deeply until we come to an honest consideration of um, what have we become to, be- what have we come to believe about God and how much are we really looking for utter dependency and reliance on him as a source of strength and not weakness as a, as a central theme of our days and not just a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Man, I could talk to you for hours, Morgan, but unfortunately we are out of time. May have to do a part three at some point in the It'd near future. I love, I love chatting with you, man. What's on your heart? What do you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, Nick, you, you ask great questions and Thank I, you. I do wish we had more time. You, you're an apprentice of the King. You're a good man and you, you, you are becoming a more and more trustworthy guide for your listeners because you're doing the work. Thank you, man. You're I doing the work. That. And I want you to know that we live in a culture of information and, and and most men know more than they've lived. And it takes humility to let your living catch up with your knowing. Mm. And and so I bless you, Nick, to slow down. Mm. I bless you to give yourself permission to live and knowing that this podcast is actually increasing in substance. And when I say substance, I mean the actual manifestation of God himself Mm. so that he can bring lasting transformation and you are doing the work. And so I I want to commend you and I would, I would welcome uh, ongoing conversations. This is so good. And you ask great questions. I think in closing, you're welcome. I think in closing today, you know, we've talked about the true self in the false self. And we talked about the twenties and thirties and you mentioned my mentor, John Moorhead. Uh, he, he was one of my first fathers in the faith that I sought him out because of a light in his eyes. He he, um, had some terrible struggles that he had to move through, um, much of which are confidential. But one of the things he struggled with was, um, was lung cancer. He battled, he's a physician, battled it for 12 years heroically. But he had the rare privilege of knowing that um, his days were numbered. You know, I, I lost a dear friend yesterday to a car accident, and mm. it was just shock. It's just sent ripples through the world. But but John Moore had knew his was coming, and so he he was a student. He was a student of Dallas Willard. He was a student of God. He was a son to a father, and he had the privilege of carving out his own grave marker. Um, and, and it said, John Milton Moorhead, end of construction. Mm. Thank you for your patience. Mm-hmm. Nick, what John understood was that all of life is a preparation, that all of these days, Lewis says it, is the um, preparation for heaven and heaven becomes the consummation, the wedding feast, the wedding night, the wedding chamber, the consummation of our earthly apprenticeship. Make no mistake that he saves the best for last, that the best is yet to come, that we are being prepared for a world that is beyond anything we can imagine. You know, Lewis says, if we find ourselves dissatisfied with the best that this world has to offer, it can only conclude that we were made for another world Mm -hmm. and that that world is yet to come. And so what I want to bless all your listeners with today is that we are all under construction. And there is mess, there's pain, there's much digging that needs to be done. But I can assure you, because God assures us that if we do the work to excavate, to lay a proper foundation, that when the storm comes, 
we will find that we haven't built a house, a family, or a kingdom on shifting sand. We've built it on a rock, and the storms can come and blow. And I promise you, we will find God to be reliable. Amen. I'm in the midst of a terrible storm in my family um, that just surfaced this weekend. And when I sink into God, I know I am doing the work to excavate. My foundation is sure. And though I'm deeply sad for what we face in our circumstances, my heart is well and at peace because mm. I'm finding that God is reliable. And so I just want to bless our friends. We are under construction, and thank you for your patience. Amen. Amen, Morgan. Thank you so much. I'll put links to everything, uh, Becoming a King and Become Good Soil um, and Wild at Heart and Ransomed Heart. All the links to that will be in the show notes. And just as a side note, uh, Morgan, your episode, uh, your podcast episode with your mentor, John Moorhead, um, it's titled Nearing the End of My Beginning. It's episode nine of the Become Good Soil podcast. Highly recommend people check that one out. I've listened to it at least five to six times in the last two months. It That dude, I mean, it speaks for himself. Just go listen to it. He is full of joy and wisdom and will um, definitely uh, inspire and motivate you to, to, to keep moving forward and become good soil. Morgan, thank you so much again, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, great to be with you, Nick. And I really look forward to another uh, podcast conversation with you soon. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to CapitalFloats.com and use the promo code life enchanted with no spaces at checkout if you're in northern california you definitely want to take advantage of this please remember that i am not a doctor so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet supplement or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes if you're interested in connecting with me you can send an email to nick n-i-c-k at mylifeenchanted.com or you can find me on instagram at mylifeenchanted peace